InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. A program meant to fight alcohol abuse seems to be having an extra benefit. It keeps reducing child abuse and neglect, even seven years after it started. Now, experts want to make it even more effective. With the story, InfoTrack's Gina Tedesco. Gina? Thanks, Chris. The program that researchers studied is called SNAP, short for Sacramento Neighborhood Alcohol Prevention Project. That's in Sacramento, California. Joining us now is Bridget Freisteller, lead author of the study and professor of social work at The Ohio State University. Professor, you're quoted as saying, after officials launched SNAP, the rates of child abuse and neglect kept decreasing in one area of town, and in another area, the increases have stopped. Can you put some numbers to these results for us? Sure. The intervention was implemented in both the North and South area in Sacramento. In the North area, after seven years, we still saw an 11.8% reduction in entries into foster care and an 11.2% reduction of those entries in foster care that were specifically alcohol-related. Whereas in the South, in the earlier study, when we looked immediately post-intervention, we had seen some increases. Those are no longer significant, so there's no change in the South area. So does that mean you infer that there's less child abuse and neglect based upon the entries into foster care? Yes, children enter in foster care usually due to child abuse and neglect. So what happens is there'll be an investigation. And if the investigation suggests that abuse or neglect happened, there'll be something called substantiation. Then in that case, the caseworkers will determine whether or not a child is at immediate risk for continued harm, in which case they may remove them from the home and place them in foster care, either with a kin, a family member, or with a stranger. Can you characterize how big a deal it is for the health and safety of children that you've found these results? Absolutely. What's interesting is child abuse and neglect has been one of those wicked problems that we've had a really hard time moving the needle in some aspects. We're continuing to see increases now since COVID and in the post-COVID time period. Most of our interventions really work on addressing problems within the family. So in the case of substance use, it would be about how do we get parents into treatment so they're no longer misusing alcohol and can be better parents. However, this study is much different because what it does is it says, let's look at how available alcohol is in the community and let's make changes to make it a little bit more difficult for people to get that alcohol. And by doing that, you make changes in behavior, you know, for a group of people that then have resulted in these reductions. These types of environmental interventions like we did in SNAP are much more able to be sustained long term in a way that often individual treatment for substance use is not, because we know that that's characterized by periods of sort of relapse and recovery. And we should point out that SNAP was actually designed to reduce alcohol supply to the area, not necessarily aimed at decreasing child abuse and neglect, kind of a side benefit. But you especially were focused on those 15 to 29-year-olds and people who already drink too much. So drill down for us, Professor. What sort of specific tactics did they use? Yep, We had five different intervention components. In one, it was really around community mobilization. So getting key leaders from the community invested in the project and to really act as a community advisory board for us 
as we were implementing the other interventions. We had a community awareness component, and that was really designed to bring awareness to the people living in those neighborhoods about the extent of alcohol problems among their youth aged 15 to 29. Then we had responsible beverage service, and this is a strategy designed to work with those places that sell alcohol. In a restaurant or a bar setting, it's about making sure you keep track of how many drinks a person has. And in a retail setting where they're taking alcohol to go, it might be looking for things like fake IDs and people who might be purchasing alcohol that might not be old enough. And then there were two different enforcement strategies. One of those were basically sting operations to send in underage youth to these different retail establishments to see if they were being sold alcohol, even though they were underage. And the second was about not selling alcohol to intoxicated patrons. We're visiting with Bridget Freisteller, professor of social work at The Ohio State University. This concerns a study on a program to reduce alcohol supply in two sections of a town and the positives that followed. The study is published in the journal Drug and Alcohol Review. So let's turn to the overall approach once again. Now, the study strongly makes the point that SNAP was community-based. Does this mean that local officials had a hand in tailoring the program, and was that important to its success? We did work very closely with the two neighborhood areas. In both of those areas, we actually had a nonprofit agency that was the lead in the neighborhood. And so one of the reasons we did that is because The neighborhoods had very distinct racial and ethnic and economic diversity in them. So we wanted to make sure that we were introducing these interventions that would be relevant to the folks that lived there. And so they housed individuals who worked on the project and they also provided feedback all along on the project's activities. Let me pick up again on your comments about responsible beverage service, because aren't there studies showing that where a person drinks makes a difference? So, for instance, drinking in bars is related to greater use of physical abuse? Absolutely. It's one of the things that we've been looking at for the past 10 to 15 years now. And it's really interesting. You see where people drink related to, as you said, different social problems. So if you're drinking at a bar, you're more likely to drink and drive than say if you're drinking at home for obvious reasons. And so with respect to child abuse, we really see that bar environment is risky for parents using physical abuse. And we've been trying to drill down a little bit to figure out what is it? Is it something about you know, the amount that you drink at a bar that might make you more aggressive? Is it something about the bar environment itself? You know, people being aggressive, talking loudly to each other, things like that. Because if we can identify those places, then we can start to tailor more specific interventions to address some of these social problems. You know, we feel really fortunate that this overall intervention had a reduction for child abuse and neglect. But the thought is, could we be even more effective if we're able to really focus on those mechanisms that happen in those bars, restaurants, and off-premise outlets that sell alcohol. And not just those that you specifically mentioned, but also people who drink frequently at sporting events. And what about that as a strategy for trying to bring down the attacks on children? Absolutely. In other recent work, we found that people who drank on the day of the Super Bowl are much more likely to use harsh discipline strategies. Whereas if you're drinking on Valentine's Day, you're not going to use those harsh discipline. And so, again, what's the context? We've been looking again. Who are the people that are with them? Are you entertaining? Is someone taking care of the children? You know, what are the conditions that make it so parents are more likely to engage 
in harsh parenting and aggressive discipline, parenting practices that we would like them to do much less of. In our study of drinking in sports, it was mostly mothers. It was really mothers who were doing the harsh discipline and not fathers, which I think is very new for this type of work. And so as we start to figure this out and these things all fit together, the hope is that we'll be able to say these are some of the strategies at the community level and then also at the individual level that might reduce child abuse and neglect. Professor, do you believe that communities around the country should now adopt the SNAP model? Are we there yet? I don't think we're there yet. I think we need to do a bit more testing of these environmental interventions. The great news is across the U.S., lots of communities are already engaging in these environmental intervention and prevention efforts. What's really needed is to look at these efforts, make sure we're monitoring those evaluations of them, but including child abuse and neglect data with it. Those data have been notoriously hard for researchers to get. States are uncomfortable sharing this data because you're really talking about some of the most vulnerable children in our society. And so what I'm hoping is that as we have results like this, that we'll be able to get more access to those data and we can evaluate those environmental interventions for child abuse and neglect and start to build a stronger research base for it. Bridget Freisteller, Professor of Social Work at The Ohio State University. Thanks so much for joining us today and sharing your study. Thank you, I appreciate it. For InfoTrack, I'm Gina Tedesco. Next, getting all Americans the benefits they deserve. That story, coming up. Stick around, there's more InfoTrack straight ahead. 